are starting, uh, we're doing week number four of what we've entitled a series called Red Letter Questions. These are questions in our Bible that are written in red. If you're not familiar with what that means, let me give you an explanation. If you have what is called a red letter edition of the Bible and you're thumbing through and all of a sudden you see some words that are written in red, what that means is those are words that are attributed while Jesus was on this earth, words that he spoke himself. Jesus's words that are written in red. And some of those red letter words are formed as questions. Questions that Jesus asked his disciples so many years ago and that he would ask us about today. So we have been looking at some of Jesus's red letter questions. So far, Pastor Derek started the sermon series off with the question of, are you judging you? Jesus asked his followers one time, he said, why are you worried about the speck in someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? Another question that we've covered so far, Pastor Ben, he shared a message and said, who do you say that Jesus is? One time Jesus asked the followers, I know what everyone else say, but who do you say that I am? Probably the most important question that we could ever answer in our lives. Last week, I shared with you a message entitled, Why Worry? And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus looks at the followers and he says, can worrying add a single day to your life? And we said, why worry? God is in control. Well, today, I want to ask you a question that may in its initial status uh, try to make you say, what is that all about? And I want to ask you the question, are you salty? Are you salty? Now, I know that I'm old and I'm not trying to have some kind of cool statement that you leave up here and somehow outside you're like, ooh, I've got a new statement. Are you salty? I want you to stay with me for just a moment and you'll understand what I mean by when I ask you the question, are you salty? Before we get into the message, though, by a show of hands, how many of you would say, no, at least average or you would consider above average. How many of you would say you're at least average or above average when it comes to being a cook? Any good cooks up in here? Raise your hand. Proud and keep it up. Let me see any good. Man, there's a lot less good cooks in this service than there was in first service. But keep your hands up. Look around, people, because these are the ones you want to be in your life group. So keep... All right, the second part of that question. How many of you would say... Not so much. That would describe me. I'm not that great of a cook. Let me see your hands. All right. I can give you some addresses to some other life groups (laughs) that you could be a part of because that's where life happens. I just want some good food at mine. Well, I have to tell you, I love to cook, and I would say that I probably am at least average, maybe above average. And one of the things I love to do most is I love when I have an opportunity to, to cook something that's kind of fancy. Something that you have to go to the store and you have to find the special ingredients and then it takes a little bit of time and you sit down, you make it look nice. I enjoy doing it, but it takes a lot of time, so I don't get to do it all that often. I think I'm still a good cook, but most of the food that I cook is just kind of the average everyday food. But as somebody who likes to cook and enjoys cooking, one of the things that I have noticed is that there is perhaps no ingredient that seems to be more common in any dish that you make than salt. Have you ever noticed that almost every dish that you make at some point calls for salt? It doesn't matter if you're sauteing or baking or if you're grilling or whatever way that you're preparing the meal, it almost always calls for salt. 
It doesn't matter if it's a meat dish or a vegetable dish, if you're baking cookies, whatever it is, it almost always seems that perhaps the most common ingredient in cooking is salt. I don't know about you, but maybe you were one that raised your hand and said, I'm one of those that's not the greatest cook. And maybe you got to the end of preparing the meal and you sat down and you prepared the meal and all of a sudden you take the first bite and you realize that you left the salt out and you realize in that moment how important salt really is. Anybody accidentally ever left the salt? Now, I'm not saying because your doctor told you that it's bad for you and you're supposed to leave the salt out. On a side note, if you have a doctor that says to leave the salt out, it's time to get a new doctor. (laughs) But you've accidentally left the salt out and then you taste the food and you realize just how important salt is. Makes a difference. How many of you in this place, so we're talking a lot about food, you uh, guys could have came to the 9 o'clock, you'd already be eating, but uh, you came to 1045. Well, how many of you like to watch the Food Network? Let me see your hands. How many have ever seen a show that they call the best thing that I ever ate? Anybody ever seen that show? What they do is they talk, and it could be pizza or the best ice cream that I've ever ate, and they ask these chefs and these personalities, and they say, where did you find the best thing that you ever ate in this particular category? Well, it was about uh, middle of the year last year that I was invited to a conference over in San Diego. And I had never been to San Diego. I was going to be there for two or three days. So I put out on Facebook, I said, listen, I need some suggestions of places to eat when you are in San Diego. Can anybody help me out? Well, my friend Paul, who is in the service today, most of you know Paul. My friend Paul used to live in San Diego and he made a suggestion. Now, when Paul speaks about food, I listen. Do not let his muscular physique make you unaware of this fact that this homeboy likes to eat. And he knows about his... I literally one time saw him in one setting eat like four or five hamburgers in one setting. Right? And so he tells me about this place to eat, and I listen to him because, man, this guy can throw down some food. And if you don't believe me that he can throw down some food, I found this picture on his Facebook. Go ahead and put that picture up there. It's a ham bone right there. That dude can eat. So I said, man, tell me about this place. And he said, look, if you're going to San Diego, you owe it to yourself to drive a little bit out of the way to a place called National City, and there is a place called Golden Chopsticks. And he says, when you go to Golden Chopsticks, you don't just go there and order anything. I want you to go there, and I want you to specifically ask for the salt and pepper chicken wings. And this is what they look like, just in case you're hungry. Can I just say thank you, Lord, for good friends? That was like slap your mama type good, all right? This was perhaps the best chicken wings that I've ever ate. And I would go so far to say it's probably most likely the best salt dish that I ever ate. There is just something about salt. Well, it may seem kind of weird, but today's red letter question for us is, are you salty? And our primary verse for today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but... If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Are you salty? 
Now, I don't want to just read that one verse. I want to get the context. So I want us to go over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, and read it in its context. As you're turning over to Matthew chapter 5, let me give you a little of the background. Again, this is Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this message that he sees, uh, speaks to the followers there that is literally known as the Sermon on the Mount because he's quite literally on the side of a mountain preaching a sermon. And he is there, he's preaching to these people on the mountain, and the Sermon on the Mount is not perspective, prescriptive, I'm sorry, but it's descriptive in nature. It's not prescriptive in that he's saying, if you're going to be a Christ follower, I prescribe that you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. Instead, he's saying descriptively, if you're a Christ follower, this is what your life is going to look like. So here Jesus is, he is He is talking to these followers and telling them what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if its salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says, you're the salt, you've got a job to do, you're to be salty. He goes on to say, verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And they give light to all of the house. You're the salt, you're the light. Keeps going. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want you to notice in those statements there, Jesus does not tell them what to do or how to change the world. He tells them who they are because of their position in Christ. We saw an example of that today, that it's not about religion, but about relationship. It's not prescriptive of do, 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 and read. It's what he has done. And now because of what he has done, this describes who we are to be. See, Christian is not, Christianity isn't about doing, it's about being. And today I want us to look at what it means to be a salty Christian. In this passage, I'm going to give you a heads up here. There are three things that we're going to be looking at as it relates to a salty Christian. Number one, a new identity, a new motivation, and then finally, a new purpose. Let's start with a new identity. See, when you come to Christ, you are a new person. It was just symbolized in the act of baptism that we did just a moment ago. That is the picture of when we come to Christ, that we are now buried in our old nature. Just as Jesus was buried, then we are arisen again to newness in life. That's why the shirts that they wore when they were being baptized said, made new. When you become a Christ follower, you have a new identity. Listen to what the Bible says here. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine for others so that they may see your good works and give glory to, underline these next words, your Father who is in heaven. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A new identity. 
You have to understand the context here. This is a radical concept that Jesus is teaching as he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. These were Jewish Christian people, Jewish folks, that all of their life had been looking at the Old Testament, and they never understood that God could be their actual Father in a personal way. See, you have to understand in the Old Testament, the word Father, as it describes God, was only used 14 times in the entire Old Testament. 39 books of the Bible, the word Father, as it relates to God, only used 14 times. Out of all of those times in the Old Testament, what they would have been familiar with, not one time was God described as a personal Father in the personal sense. Now Jesus is with these followers and he is teaching them that in Christ, because of what he was going to do, they can now have a relationship with God as their actual spiritual father. A radical concept in their day. He says, you have a new identity in a personal way. See, with this new identity... As children of God, we have new rights and new relationships and new responsibilities as it associates with God being our Father. As Christians, as Christ followers, we should begin to resemble the attributes and the characteristics of our Father. See, I am 42 years old tomorrow. I was going to say 38, but I know you wouldn't believe me, but tomorrow's my birthday. I turn 42, and as I grow older... I've realized one thing. Over the years, I'm turning into my father. Anybody else ever realize that? Luckily, I don't have his ear hair yet, but I'm turning into my father in regards to my mannerisms and specifically in regards to some of the things that I'll find myself saying to my kids that my dad used to say to me. All of a sudden, I'll find myself, and I'll say to them something like this, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. And I'll flash back and say, boy, I thought I would never say that. I'm turning into my father. Or I'll say something like this, hey, a little dirt never hurt. Pick that popsicle up and eat it. I'm not buying you another one. (laughs) Or I'll say like this, were you raised in a barn? Go ahead and shut the door. Funny thing about that, I, was growing, I grew up in Jones Creek, Texas, and our house actually did look like a barn, so sometimes I would kind of say, uh, yeah, it kind of looks like we were raised in a barn, and that didn't always work out well for me. <laughs> or I'll say things like this, don't make me stop this car, and I all of a sudden have a flashback that I'm becoming my father. What about this one? Because I said so, right? Or maybe my all-time favorite go-to is, I don't know, go ask your mother, huh? <laughs> turning into my father. As a Christ follower, he says, he is your heavenly father. You are to have a new identity and you are to begin to look like your heavenly father. Begin to love like he loves. Begin to start to do the things that he does. You have a new identity. The second thing I want you to see, being a salty Christian, you also have a new motivation. As God's children, all of a sudden we realize the price that we was paid for us and, and we want to please our Father and we want to let others know how amazing our Father is. A new motivation in our lives. Look at the way that Matthew 16, the second part of that verse says it. Matthew 16, 
says it like this. As you look at the second part. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Glory to your Father in heaven. See, before Christ, it's all about me, right? We live in a very me-centric world. It's all about me, and my motivation is my career, my family, my comfort. But salty Christians have a new motivation, and that new motivation is to give glory to the Father. He says, you have a new identity, your Father. And your new motivation is then so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Do you ask yourself on a daily basis, God, how can I bring glory to your name in everything that I do? Are you motivated by bringing glory to your purpose in your kingdom or God's kingdom? John Piper says it like this. He says, when God is most glorified in me, then I am most satisfied in him. The reality that motivates us, gives us everything, and helps us, we should then want to follow and build His kingdom. Let me ask you, what is your faith cost you lately? That God, I have a new identity in you, and I have a new motivation. I don't care what the world says. The third thing I want you to see, not only new identity, new motivation, another thing is we have now a new purpose. As Christians, our purpose isn't just to rise to the next level in our career or to buy that new home and all those things are fine and good and the new car and the this and that. It's not even to be the best dad. It's not even to be the best husband or the best spouse or the best child or whatever it may be. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. And we look then at our jobs and our relationships and our families as vehicles to fulfill His purpose in our lives. The stuff that we do is not who we are. We are a Christ follower, and the stuff that we do becomes vehicles to glorify God in all that we are. The Bible says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your heart, as glorification unto God. Our purpose can be found in the passage today as we go back to verse 13. It says, your purpose is to be the salt of the earth. Then verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. What does that mean for you and for me? Does it mean that we all have to quit our jobs and go be missionaries in some foreign land? For some, maybe. But for the most part, it means that in every day of our life, God, what can we do in our sphere of influence to bring glory to God and be salt and light in a world that needs you? What does it mean to be salt and light? To understand that, we need to look at some of the functions of salt and light. So you can write this down. See, salt is something that is very valuable. Now, I've heard this to be said. It's kind of disputed back and forth. But it's said that back in Roman times and back in the day, 
that a soldier, a Roman soldier, would be paid in salt because back in those times it wasn't mined. It was something that was very valuable. They would go to the sea and it was this process and it was something very valuable so they would be paid in salt. Maybe you've heard the terminology where somebody would say, hey, that person's not worth their salt, right? Supposedly, it's kind of tied into that thought that this salt was very valuable. As a matter of fact, they say that the word salary, where we talk about, kind of is a derivative to salt, and there's all these interchange in this play with this, that salt at one time was very valuable. On a side note, I talked to the staff this week and tried to set this up as a payment system and pay them with salt, but it didn't work out quite as, as I was hoping for. But salt was very valuable. Another thing is salt was a preservative. See, back in that time, there was no electricity, so they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have an Arctic cooler and go down to Sonic and throw some ice over the meat that they had caught or whatever they needed to preserve. And so instead, what they would use, they would use salt to preserve the thing from decaying and rotting around them. And Jesus here is saying, we are to be in this world a preservation so that the world that is decaying around us, we are to be salt in the midst of decay. Salt begins to change the atmosphere and the, the thing that it's around. If you ever saw, under, saw this, that somebody who really is a Christ follower, not because they're haughty or because they look down their noses at others, but they truly follow Christ, and all of a sudden they walk in the room and the atmosphere changes, and the person was telling a dirty joke, and all of a sudden they're about to get to the punchline, and all, they turn and they stop what they're doing. Somebody's cussing and all of a sudden there's a salty Christ follower comes in and it changes the atmosphere and all of a sudden there's apologies and it's not because of some kind of haughty religious thing but because there's something different about us and there should be something different about Christ followers who are salty. Another thing salt does, it stimulates thirst. Ever ate something extremely salty and then couldn't get to a glass of water or something to drink? stimulates thirst we are to stimulate thirst in those that are around us they should look at our life and say boy i want to lead my family like that i want my marriage to look like that i want to be able to share the gospel like that i want my life to emulate that not because of who we are but because of who he is in us and it causes others to then be thirsty Another thing salt does, it adds flavor, makes something taste good. If you're a good cook, you know that salt is almost never the starring ingredient, right? Salt is really meant to be an enhancer to whatever you're putting it on. If it becomes a starring ingredient, then it's pointed to itself and not to the thing that it's in, to enhance. You understand where I'm going? See, in our lives as salty Christians, it's never about us. It's always meant to point to Him. And we are to be able to add flavor to the world around us so that people see Him through us. But Jesus gives us a warning in the other part of verse 13. He says, if the salt has lost its taste, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot. He says, you've got a purpose to be salt in this world. Then He flips the script, and he starts to talk to us about light. I like the kind of procession here, the, 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 the way this is laid out. He says, if you are salty enough and salt in this world, then you will then earn the right to be light in this world 
and by what you, how you live, it will earn you the right to speak about who you know. He says, then you are the light of the world. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Understand, homes in Jesus' time, they did not have electricity. They did not have a light switch that you could go and just turn on. Back in those days, it would have been not uncommon for them just to have maybe one window the entire house. And then they would have this lamp that they would use. It would be like a bowl of oil, and that oil would then have a wick, and they would light that wick, and they would strategically, usually these were very expensive. They didn't have multiple. They would only have maybe one in the whole house. And wherever you placed it in the house was very strategic because that is where you wanted to dispel the most darkness that you possibly could. And that's the analogy. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, you have been strategically placed in this world that is dark in order to bring light in a dark world. See, it's not just about that job for accident's sake that you're there. It's it's not just by happenstance that you're in the family that you're in. You have been strategically placed to be light in this world. Why? Because the Bible says we are called to be light in a dark world. Can I tell you, we live in a dark world. It was just a day or so ago that I talked to several other pastors in the the city and going to be getting together on Tuesday with some of the pastors as well as some of the, the school officials because this week we heard in 14 days about a second suicide in Paraland ISD. Can I tell you, we live in a dark world where people, even as young as these young people are, look and they see hopelessness all around them. And God calls us to try to be light. And you may not be dealing with somebody on your job or in your school that is contemplating suicide, but I can guarantee you you're dealing with some folks that are in dark situations. And they're looking for somebody strategically placed to say, shed the light. Where are the answers? And if we are Christ followers, we have the answers, but we can live for so many things and have our motivation all messed up. And he is saying, you have a purpose, and that's to be light and dispel darkness. You strategically place. Lifeway Fellowship, our overarching theme is we want to develop lifelong followers of Jesus. On the walls out here, you'll see one of our values is that every soul matters to God. A soul that will be going back to India, to a soul that lives with us and, and is right next door to us every day. Every single soul matters to God, and we are to be light in a dark world. See, that's why I've got cards that you have been writing names on to pray about and say, I want to invest and I want to invite. It's not just so that we could fill up the house and and be able to say, well, we had more people than we've ever had. That would be great and praise the Lord for all of that. But it's because we're going to be sharing a message that day and a testimony of one of our life pointers of how, God, my life was in a mess, but God, you took my mess and you giving me a message and I love, and all of a sudden lives are changed when we would simply just say, I'll invest, I'll invite, I'll love, I'll, I'll share my story. That's why we do what we do. Because he's called us 
to be light and salt. Today, I want you to fill out those cards, and before you leave, I want you to leave them there as a prayer point. Who are you going to bring? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to pray? Not just invite to a service, but love them into the kingdom. And we want to be able to celebrate with that. See, the Bible says you and I are called to be light because the church is the hope of the world. It says in verse 14, we are a city that's set on a hill that cannot be heading. I will conclude with this. When we were young, I used to go to Sunday school. Anybody remember old Sunday school days, flannel graphs and all? There was a song we used to sing that's very appropriate to end on. And we had little motions that went along with this. And it kind of comes from this passage in which I'm talking about today. And we would stick our little thumbs up in the air and it said this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Sing with me, help me out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. The Bible says we are the hope of the world. Not us, but Him through us. We can be salt and we can be light. The question is, are we walking in our new identity? Are we living for the right motives? And finally, are we fulfilling His purpose in our lives? I want you to bow your head, and I want you to close your eyes as we begin to pray today. Father, these next few moments, I pray that you would so clearly and so specifically begin to speak to our hearts and lives. Red-letter questions. These are not questions that we ask. These are questions that you asked. We don't want to be... Christians that have lost the flavor, that have lost our purpose. Instead, we want to be Christ followers who follow you every day of our life. And as we follow you, we shed light and we're salt to the world around us. Father, I pray that you would speak to us so very clearly today in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If there's even one in this room before we go into a response of how we are to walk this out, but you would say, Cecil, the truth of the matter is I'm watching these baptisms. I'm hearing how people have accepted the Lord. I'm taking communion, and I realize that Jesus died, and he was buried, and he rose again, but I don't have a right relationship with him. I've been running from him, or I've never known him, but the Holy Spirit is drawing me today I know I need to get my life right with God. He says if you'll admit that you need him, believe that he is the Christ that he died for your sins and confess your sins. He is faithful. He's just. He'll forgive. Has bowed and eyes closed. If that's you and you say today I want to give my heart to Jesus. No one else is looking around. I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. I've been running. I've never known him. I want to pray for you. Raise your hand right where you're at. Don't be ashamed and let me respond to you and then we're going to pray. Amen. I'm out.
Jesus. Yes. 